I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Connoisseurs coming to you from Solid Gold Podcasts. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers and all the people who make it happen in the liquor and luxury industries from around the world. Today in the Solid Gold studio for Carrie's Connoisseurs, I have Luke O'Quinnigan. I think it's Luke O'Quinnigan. I've known you a hundred years and I still can't say your name. Lukey, hi. How's it, Carrie? It's great to be here and with your listeners and your pronunciation is getting better and better over the years. Is it? Okay, thank God for that. Okay. <laughs> Luke, today I'm seeing you in a different space and it's a space that I love because I don't know if you know that when I came back from England... My first job in the wine industry was with Anglo-American farms, and they had just bought Fergelechen. Okay. And Martin Minot was the winemaker. Martin remains one of the biggest loves of my life. I adore him. We had so much fun working at Fergelechen. And now, of course, one of my other favorite boys, you, <laughs> has ended up in that cellar. How are you enjoying it? It's been a fantastic experience coming across and uh, working in this uh Magnificent property. And I think something that's been quite uh, intriguing for me is that if we have to look at the history of where I've come from with Glen Ely, it was actually Fergelechen that was one of the reasons why Madame decided to come and invest in South Africa because of them winning her trophy that she had started at the, with the Pichelalant trophy at the IWSC. Quite right. I remember Andre van Rensburg, I think, won that trophy twice. Once, twice, I can't remember. He got it twice, yeah. That's quite correct. Mm. Luke, Fergelechen also, it's very, very difficult. Well, just to tell everybody, Luke worked with Madame Maidelankasan at Glen Ely from, I think, about 2006, 2008. Yeah. Uh, you set up that farm. You set it up for her, didn't you? I came across at the end of 2007, and that's when we were doing the design and uh, construction of the cellar and started the brand from afresh with her, yeah. And did a fantastic job. She is, of course, an amazing woman and a force to be reckoned with in the international wine world. She's just one of my heroes. And I think we've all been so lucky to have anything to do with Maida Lankasan. But after that... Where do you go? Where to from there? It was a bit like me at Norman Goodfellows. You know, it's the quintessential retailer. What do you do when you move from one of the best? And Fergelechen is probably the best option, really. Why the switch? Fergelechen was one of the probably five properties that I always had on a bucket list that if it ever came up, I would certainly look at it. I mean, I was extremely happy at Glen Eddy. I love the farm. I still love it dearly. I have a lot of uh, respect and fondness for Madame de Lancasa. Fergelechen is this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you get to come across. And it's exciting property. I mean, it's one of the properties that's the oldest that's been going since the 1700s. Uh, it's got a magnificent history. But the true kicker for me, if you want to put it like that, is the vineyards and the, the sense of place and site that it offers. So all those hundreds of years ago, when I first went to work for, for Anglo-American farms, I remember that Julio Bertrand had just bought Morgenster, which was down in the valley, down at the bottom end of Fergelechen. And well, he hadn't just bought it, he bought it a little bit afterwards. And I remember going to visit him at Morgenstern and we went out into those vineyards and we were having a look 
There's a sort of a strip along the Scarpenberg, which we know makes some of the best Sauvignon Blanc in the country. I always knew it was going to make that. But the thing that I was always excited about in that particular little space of the Cape is, dare I say it, Cabernet Franc. I want you to just make Cabernet Franc there. <laughs> Julia planted the most gorgeous Cabernet Franc and went on to make some delicious. And I think that there's quite a lot of Cab Franc planted at Fergelechen as well, isn't there? There is a, quite a bit of it planted, although Cabernet Sauvignon is the dominant uh, red variety. But mm. you're speaking about the Scarpenberg, and everybody speaks of it being uh, Sauvignon Blanc. But there's a few uh, Chardonnay vineyards that we've got up on that, and yes. it's making the most magnificent Chard. Well, I'm excited to hear that because you do make beautiful Chardonnay. I know that. So I can't wait to taste your Chardonnay. And I can't wait to taste what you're going to do with that Scarpenberg Sauvignon Blanc. Well, it's been a, a learning curve for me, and it's been exciting to deal with such special vineyards that have got so much character about it. So my whole approach that I've had here is to try and really express that sense of place and character coming out in them. And it's been quite exciting. Like this morning, I was tasting through all the Sauvignon tanks. Each tank has its own very distinctive character and expression oh, of the really? variety. Yeah, and the expression of the varietal. And you can really see where it's coming from. It senses place, its aspect that is altered and things like that. So I'm actually extremely excited about putting the blends together later on in the year because we've got so many different components to work with. So, Luke, now you've got all those vineyards. Are they all single vineyard stuff at the end of the day? So do you keep all your vineyards quite separate and you vinify them separately and you give them each their own tank or barrel? Is that sort of what's happening there? I try and do it as much as possible. Some of the vineyards that we put together because of the size restrictions, but most of it is vinified as an individual and kept separately to try and really understand. I think the biggest thing for me is if I think back to my time at uh, Glen Ely, I had 14 years there to understand and learn the vineyards and uh, yeah. get a full array of the aspects that the property had to offer. Coming across here, I'm starting from scratch, as it were, again. So I want to vinify everything as an individual so we can really get to grips with what each one has to offer and see how it fits into a blend later down the line. It's a very personal and probably one of the most important love affairs you'll ever have in your life is that love affair with your vineyards because you really do need to know all of their moods, all of their idiosyncrasies, all of their little tweaks and twinges that you need to know about when you're turning that fruit into wine. And you do it so unbelievably well. Are you going to change the range of wine that Svergelechen currently has? What plans have you got for what you're doing? I wouldn't say we'll necessarily change the range of wine. I think we'll probably get some more focus, if you want to put it like that, into the range and do slightly bigger volumes of some of the lines to fulfill where the market is taking them. But I really want to bring back to that sense of place that we have with our wines and get that expression of this wonderful sight coming through. Um, that's the most vital thing for me. I think you, when you're drinking our wines, you have to know that you're drinking a fergelechen, not because I've made it or anything. It's because you can really taste the sense of place. It goes back into that old French philosophy of terroir, that has to come through. And I think we have got a magnificent terroir here and we really have to express it. Yeah. One of the reasons I was so excited as well, funny enough, coming back to this place is 
my first place that I worked at outside of South Africa was at Chateau Fusel, making these magnificent yes. Bordeaux Blancs. And I think Bordeaux Blanc, or for people that don't know what a Bordeaux Blanc is, it's a Sauvignon Semillon blend. It's For me, it's probably the most underrated wine in the wine world because they age magnificently well and they've got so much character about them. And if you have a look at some of them, they're more expensive. The white Bordeaux blends are more expensive than the reds in some instances. I mean, some people, some of the more famous producers in, in Bordeaux that we can mention make a white that you only get if your family's bought it for the last 2,000 years and you're on a very special allocation list. You, don't, you just don't get it. That was another thing that I was going to speak to you about. You come with a mountain of wonderful experience. And I think you spent some time at one of my favorite properties, which was Chateau Angelus, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can we look forward to baby Angelus out of Africa? <laughs> I'd love to get a baby Angelus coming out of Africa. And funny enough, uh, Hubert de Bois, the owner of Chateau Angelus, came to visit me here about two weeks ago to see what I was up to and come and look at the vineyards. Does he not have something to do with the ownership at Clan Constantia? He does. They do, don't they? So yeah. he's, he's still a small uh, shareholder in Clan Constantia, and he comes mm. out uh, regularly to come and look at the, the property and oversee it. And he sneaks around and comes to see what I'm up to uh, often, and it's fantastic having that relationship with him. Well, maybe you should get Hubert to blend with you. <laughs> let's have a date. I'll fly down. Let's get Hubert and the three of us can have a blending party. What about that? I'll try and organize it, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Luke, talk to me. When You moved across to Fagelegen in October, I think. Right about then? End of September, October, yeah. So this is your, obviously your first harvest with Fagelegen. Were you familiar at all? I know that you wine farming boys are all sort of buddies and mates and you get together and you help each other and what have you. Were you ready for what you were about to walk into from a vineyard and a cellar perspective at Fergeleken? Yeah, I think I knew what I was, uh, I was up for when I was coming across. I think um, Andre's track record here is, uh, speaks for itself. And the cellar itself, I take my hat off to Andre. The cellar's in a magnificent condition. And I mean, if you Is consider it? it's a 30-year-old building, he really, the maintenance and everything that he did on it is uh, world-class. He was there for a long time, hey? about 70. How long was Andre there for? A long time, 17 years old? I think it was 25, 26 years that he was here. Oh, so, wow. So okay. he did a very long stint here and uh, mm. he did a great job. And I mm. think... I think the exciting thing about coming across as well, and it's something that he instilled in the property, is this whole project that they have with uh, trying to eradicate leaf roll virus. Yes. Which you know is one of the biggest uh, blights on our industry. It's terrible. And uh, they've done an incredible job of doing it. And it's, uh, it's been very interesting for me to learn about what they do and what they've implemented to try and get it as leaf roll free as possible. You know what's going to happen to you? I mean, not that you've come from a particularly parsimonious or shoestring budget at Glenelli, but it's unbelievable to work for somebody like Anglo-American Farms, where I'm not suggesting that money's no object, but because it's more of a corporate thing, it teaches you 
the business of wine a whole lot more than you might otherwise have learnt about the business of wine, which is going to add to your CV so enormously. I mean, the business of wine is a very important part of staying alive. And I don't know if you saw during the week there was an article written by somebody that said, without the influx of international capital pouring into the South African wine lands, they reckon that about 70 to 80 wineries are going to be closed by the end of this year. So it's a very nice position to find yourself in, I think, to be in a, a relatively comfy space with a big daddy like Anglo behind you. Do they say to you, he has an open checkbook, do what you need to do, but just justify it? Or do you have to put your knee pads on and go and beg for money? No, they are quite strict financially, and so we do have to really, really motivate what we need it for. I do find because of the corporate setup and everything that you have here, it's very different uh, in my experience. I've always worked for family properties, so whether yes. it's in Glen Ely or Rustenburg or Hubert in France. Mm. Things happened much, should we say, faster in the sense that um, because you just go and speak to the owner, Make a decision. Then you make a decision there and then. Whereas on a corporate level, because you have to do all of this motivation, it does take a bit longer. But in the same time, it's fantastic seeing the governance side of it, you know. Yes. And it's made it quite interesting looking at that and, and the approach that gets taken with it. You know, I think it's going to add something to your CV that will take you anywhere in the world hereafter if you, cho you, know, if you choose to go somewhere else in the world. Luke, who is running Fergelecha now? When I was there, it was Don Tooth, and he was so amazing. He did so much for Fergelecha there for many, many, many years, and we all had so much fun together. But I know Don's retired. Who's running Fergelecha now? Wayne Kutzer is running it now. What I'm so excited about working with Wayne is that he doesn't come from a wine background. Okay. He's got a very different view on things, and it's very exciting because uh, – he comes from working for another family business, the Tolmans, where... He, oh, really, Vicky? Yeah, so... So at least he knows how to drink. <laughs> <laughs> he set up all the Tolman hotels and things around the world. So uh, it's been really fun working with him and uh, mm. seeing his viewpoint, particularly on our hospitality offerings that we have here now. I think it's wonderful to have a whole new team. Who's your assistant winemaker? I haven't uh, got an assistant. I decided that I wanted to work by myself to get, and yeah, we've got a fantastic, we've got a fantastic team here at the moment because I really want to see what do we actually really require in the cellar mm. before I make any decisions. And the team itself here is a very, very strong team. Mm. It's a team that Andre had put together over many years. They know exactly what's going on themselves. And I think mm. it's been the, the right choice for us at the moment. I do agree. I think it's wonderful. It's a lot of work. And you're probably at the moment working 24 hours around the clock because it's harvest time. How did your harvest go, your first harvest at Fergelechen? To be honest, Gary, it's been a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, mm, I'm sure. Because it's been an extremely wet harvest. And it's still raining, hey? It's still raining at the moment. Last night, I got uh, given the present of uh, 45 millimeters of rain. So for, oh, yeah. Mar for March alone, we well over 130 mils. Oh, my God. Have you got everything in from the vineyards or not? 
We have just got a few blocks that I left out that I thought uh, can withstand uh, the rain, and we're going to wait for them to dry out a little bit. Uh, but most of the stuff is in. But the quality that's come in is looking really good. I mean, this harvest has really reminded me of a Bordeaux harvest. It's been exactly the really? same where you're running between the showers and everything. And it's been a lot of judgment calls in the vineyards to when yeah. to bring things in and how to manage. So it's been quite exciting about that. It's a hard vintage to walk into straight up, your first vintage. <laughs> Is there any frotties in the vineyard? Is anything going mildew or... Luckily not. My viticulturist has been super and he's been right on top of his game. So we haven't seen any botrytis coming or mildew or anything like that. So the grapes are still looking quite healthy. Listen, I quite hope you do get a little bit of botrytis somewhere because you know me and Sticky are. <laughs> I so want. And, and even if you don't make Sticky, even a little bit of botrytis on some of the Sauvignon Blancs and things is so delicious. Uh, the rain came a little bit late for the Sauvignon to get it. <laughs> Did it? Yeah, it was, uh, the rain really has affected more our red harvest. But as yeah. I say, it, it's, this is the sort of harvest, funny enough, that I actually quite enjoy because it uh, has its own challenges. It's constantly challenging you and making you mm. think and question things a lot more. So now, just let's run through on the reds, because I tend to think of Fergelechen. I love that Scarpenberg Sauvignon Blanc, but I do tend to think of Fergelechen as one of the country's serious red wine producers. And the Fergelechen V really has to take its place on the shelf as one of our sort of smarter, show-offy brands. What else are you making? Because I can't remember now, really. There was the Fergelechen V. There was another one that they made that was like a cheap and cheerful version of Fergelechen V. Run us through the reds that you've got. I know you've got a Cabernet. I know that you've got a Cab Franc somewhere along the line. Tell us what you've got. To start off with the reds, you've got, and I'm, I think it's the one that most people would know and recognize. You've got the Cab Merlot. And in the past, that used to be called the Millrace Red. Yeah, Millrace Red. It was brilliant. Yeah. Why did they take that name away? I don't exactly know what the historic value was, why they pulled it away and changed it to Cab Merlot, but uh, a lot of people still call it the Mill Race. Um, So it's been quite interesting to see how strong it was actually as a brand. Yeah, a very strong brand. Then you step up into single varietal Cab and Merlots that we've got. It's a vineyard range, hey? It will be the vineyard range. They call it the vineyard range or whatever, yeah. But I think the wine that excites me the most on the property is the GVB Red, which is our expression of the Bordeaux. Yes. It's a Cabernet dominated Bordeaux blend, but it varies from vintage to vintage, whether it's got all five varieties in or as little as two of the varieties. It's a bit of an unfortunate sort of acronym. It's like a gender based violent wine. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks a lot, Gary. <laughs> we should change it round. We should do it VBG or something. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, well, that's why we're actually talking about taking it and just making it simple as state red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. God, okay. So, What's the last word? The last word and the first thought and the mistake were uh, small production wines that were made. So the first thought and last word were Cabernets. And the mistake was a Merlot. And they were expressions of different sites on the property. But we're looking at probably discontinuing those. The reason being, I think, those 
expressions will add a lot more into something like the GVB blend and add a lot of character to those wines going forward. Okay. And even to something like the V, I think, can benefit from some of that wine that was going down there, can help the V even a bit more. So is that Fergelegen V, is it Fergelegen V or is it Fergelegen 5? Are there five blends in there? No. I mean, five grape varieties in there? No, the Fertlichen V, if you look historically, it's mainly been a Cabernet, uh, being more than 85%. There are a few vintages where it dipped just below that 85% mark. Yeah. But ostensibly, it's a, it's a cab. So that's that. The other thing that I wanted to remind you of is Van der Florence. Do we still make Van der Florence? Unfortunately, that was discontinued at the same time as, as the mill race. And it's uh, been uh, much head-scratching for myself and uh, Wayne, because you look at the sales that happened of that wine and things. And it was, this is uh, where we really need to teach Angler a little bit about the business of wine. When you've got a successful brand, keep doing it. Imagine if Coca-Cola withdrew their Coke brand. After 30 years and said, oh, no, we think we better change this. Yeah, I don't think it was in Anglo Directive. I think it was uh, something that probably happened on the farm where they, I think where they were, their mindship was going is that that was getting so big, it was almost killing off other Fergelechen wines, if you want to put it like that, because Florence had become the brand, no longer Fergelechen. Well, Vanda Florence, I mean, she really was the brand, if you think of it. She was the most amazing woman. And there's the Lady Flo Tea Gardens. Are they still there on the farm? Very, very much. restaurant, yeah. And, I mean, we have uh, started making a rosé, which is the Florence rosé, which pays homage back to her and all the work that she did in the gardens. She was an amazing woman. If you honestly take into account, she's a tiny little thing who got dumped in the bottom end of Africa all by herself. Her husband went backwards and forwards to England and he was fighting wars and doing what British soldiers do and what have you. And she really did pioneer that farm, didn't she? I mean, she was an amazing woman. She was instrumental to the character of the farm as we see it today yeah. because uh, of all the gardens. So. And Lukey, tell me, are those camphor trees still standing up? I remember they were all held up with chains and blocks and tackles and all kinds of things are they still there they're very much still there and holding firm so it's one of the things that uh, we're extremely proud of on the property that we've still got these magnificent campers mm. you'll probably have heard the biggest challenge that we're facing around the western cape and around south africa at the moment is to combat borer beetle which is yeah. kill killing a lot of the oak trees and things like that but uh, we've got a big program on the farm where we're trying to combat it as best as possible. We're in constant communication with professors in Australia, Israel, United States, locally looking at the best way to do it because it's not just South Africa that's suffering from it. Australia suffering from it. Israel, the U.S., everybody's got it at the moment. So I always say, you know, everybody's so smart and thinks it's... We, we're so presumptuous as human beings, aren't we? Where the universe can have a little thing as tiny as a borer beetle that could actually sort us all out and put us back in our place, couldn't it? 
Very much so. Now, what we particularly scared about with it on the property here is that we've got the oldest oak tree in South Africa on the property. We've got the royal oak that was uh, came from Blenheim Palace and everything. And <laughs> we, we are petrified to uh, lose these iconic trees. No, they're wonderful. And even those camphors, Luke, I think they must be close to 400 years old now, those camphor trees. Yeah, well, they, they were planted in uh, 1700 when uh, Valerie Marion van der Stil started the property. If you look at him, he was such a forward thinking, very dynamic. Uh, He's amazing. Farmer. He was the robber baron, wasn't he? They knew him as the robber baron. He was an amazing guy. Because uh, what I find interesting is how many trees and things on the property come from uh, Asia. And it's because he was, oh, looking, really? he was looking towards Asia. And that's why you have the campers, you have the uh, white mulberry bushes, all of this. He probably was... had a little harem of little Chinese girlfriends tucked behind the door <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> villa, I promise you. <laughs> Sure, that's what that Asian influence was all about. <laughs> Running up and down his spine every morning. I think he was the bloke who used to stand up on top of the hill with his with his telescope and see. Um, I remember the story when I was at Anglo. It was something to do with the vantage point that he had from the top of your mountain. There is that he had a, a sort of a town crier who he put up on the top of the hill. And he had to spot the first ships coming around the horn so he could get his ox wagons or whatever they were to the harbor as quickly as possible so that he could go and do the trading. You're quite right, because that's why we have often uh, spoken about it. Is Scarpenberg, is the name really from because they graze sheep on it? Or in the old days, is it... Was it really called Skierpenberg, meaning that they had a person up there looking at the ships and the skierper that were going around? I'm sure that's what it was. Because you get a pretty clear view into Cape Town itself mm. and into, obviously, False Bay, which is right next door to us. So it did yeah. give him a real competitive advantage of getting his goods into... He did. That's how he got, he got so rich, because he was just the early bird catches the worm sort of syndrome. He really was. He was an amazing guy. And that's one of the reasons why he got sacked as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. The good people don't last long. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, tell me something else. Is there accommodation at Vergelich? And if anybody wants to, there never used to be. We don't have accommodation to the public. We've just got a little bit of accommodation if we have guests that come and visit the property from overseas yeah. or something like that. Our real offerings that we have is that we've got two fabulous uh, restaurants. We've, mm. You've got the picnic areas as well, where we provide picnics in season time as well. But the big draw card, I suppose, is the magnificent walks that you can do around the estate oh, through all the gardens. It is, it is so beautiful. It is, And then on to my next question. Have you succumbed and decided to live at Fergelechen? I'll be moving on to the property in about six months' time. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to take long, you bugger. Who wouldn't want to live on that magnificent place? It is honestly one of the most beautiful farms in the country. It really, really, really is. And I think full marks to Anglo will say thank you. Everybody's so busy saying sorry for everything that they've done in these sort of cancel culture times. I think we need to say a big thank you to Anglo-American for all the preservation that they've done and the spearheading of education and winemaking, viticultural stuff and vinicultural stuff. 
they've really contributed and nobody else will ever stand up and say thank you because it's politically incorrect, but they really have done a huge amount for our wine industry. And I'm so excited that you're there because you are going to make, I think you're just so suited to that red wine. Luke, I can't wait for that baby Angelus. It's going to come, I know. I hope we can get it. But going back to what you're saying about Angler, I think we have to hold our hands up to them as, and say thank you as well because of the amount of environmental work that they've done on this property. I know. Because I don't think people really realize that Fergedechen Estate is it's 3,300 hectares. It's a, it's a huge, huge property. Yeah. And sure. it's only a fraction of it that we use for making wines and They've been doing this massive environmental projects uh, going on and we have rediscovered plants that everybody had thought previously extinct uh, on the property again. We're busy with the big quacha project uh, where we're breeding uh, the quacha back from extinction. What is the difference between a quacha and a zebra? Now, through genetic coding and, and everything, we know that the quacha is a subspecies of, of a zebra. But if you had to look at it, uh, quacha basically just has the very defined zebra stripes on its neck and its head, and the rest of the body is uh, like a horse. Like a donkey. Yeah, it's plain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. So it's a very interesting project to look and uh, see how it's developing. I mean, the last quacha died in a zoo in the Netherlands in, I think it's 1871. Um, wow. So it's quite exciting to be part of this and, and looking at uh, what's taking place. How did we get them to be again if the last one died in 1781? It's a project that's taken oh, years and years. cloning or something. Well, the first uh, thing, there was a, there's a taxidermy example that was in a Cape Town Museum. And I think they were looking at DNA from the hair there. And through all the studies, they saw that it's a subspecies of the zebra. Yeah. So then they went out and started looking at all the zebras and everything and looking at their genetic coding. And then they started to do selective breeding of certain zebras to try and get that coding back into what the quaha is. It's quite terrifying when you think of what we can actually do. Imagine we could make another Luke. Well, or another Paddy. <laughs> exactly. That's even more terrifying. <laughs> Luki, the other thing that I wanted to ask you is Cordoba, which is just over the hill from you, yes. is making, and Skulk Willem, who we love with all our heart, he is making some delicious Cabernet Franc and stuff, and there's a big French influence there. I think that we need to have a little party and put you boys together and make a little collab. <laughs> Honestly, make something that is going to rival the best Bordeaux in the world. I do think you could. Now, I think Skulk is making magnificent wines at Taibos. Oh, to die for. I've spent a bit of time with him there and going through what he's doing, and he's been to visit me here. And I think we are in a very unique area that gives us the ability. I think where Thai Boss is, you look at the track record that Chris Keat had with uh, uh, Cordoba. Those yeah. Cordoba crescendos are magnificent wines. I mean, I, I had the privilege a few months ago to have a 2000 vintage of the Cordoba crescendo. And it was, it was delicious. It was 
Absolutely stunning. It was a real world beater. I mean, yeah. it was like it was bottled only two years ago. Uh, it was know, absolutely magnificent. Mm. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Now, I think we've got loads and loads and loads of fun and exciting stuff. Are your family all excited to be moving to one of the most gorgeous places on planet Earth? They're very excited to, to come across. I think the, the two that are the most excited are my two golden retrievers. I think they can't wait to get here because there's nice big dams for them to swim in. Oh, uh, can you so. imagine? They're going to be brown retrievers for most of the time, I think. <laughs> exactly. Hey? Yeah. Oh, please. And Luke, one last word for Madame. Who's filled your very big shoes at Glen Dirk van Sale is the winemaker at Glen Who's Dirk? Why don't I know him? He was assistant to Carl van der Merver at the Morganson. And then he left the Morganson and took over the reins at Saxonburg for a little while. And now he's come across to uh, Glen Eddy. And I think Dirk's going to do a magnificent uh, job. He, he's made some okay. fantastic wines. Um, I think he came from a very good school working with Carl as well at uh, the Morganson. Anybody who can last with my darling Wendy Applebaum, she would have knocked him into shape in two seconds flat. And she's a very good friend of Madame as well. So I'm sure yeah. that they've got that boy firmly under control, those girls. <laughs> and I'm sure he's going to make some delicious wine. Okay, well, that's good to know. I'll catch up with him and see. I do actually remember him now that you mentioned that he was at the Morgan's on. Because well, Carl, of course, gone to Canada now. I stay yeah. in touch with him. Yeah. Carl's always thought very highly of him. I know that. And, mm. uh, okay. and Wendy also spoke very highly of him. Well, Luke, good luck, my darling. I know that you don't need it because you are one of the country's best winemakers ever. When you're coming to Johannesburg, please phone me and we'll catch up and share a bottle. I want to taste everything that you're doing at Vergelegen. Do you understand? I'd love to host you down on the property when you're down in the Cape again. I will come. When I come, I'll phone you. We can make a plan to do a bit of a tasting and see what you're up to. But in the meantime... Good luck and congratulations. It's a fabulous job to have landed. Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks, Maluki. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.